I wonder how many of you might know how many people in the Bible said to the Lord, Here am I. There's not that many. We spoke about one this morning. You can have a guess. I think there was exactly seven of them. Exactly seven of them. Okay. There, well, according to, to my reckoning, there's five. Okay. So we have uh, Abraham, Jacob. We spoke about Moses this morning. And then uh, Isaiah, obviously, Isaiah chapter 6. And then uh, technically Ananias in the book of Acts said, Lord, I am here, but close enough. So there's about five characters that answer the Lord, here am I. And I hope that that is definitely our heart's desire this month. And I believe uh, that very much is the case. I've sensed in our church family uh, a desire to reach others with the gospel. Uh, we're here one. And uh, let's just go ahead and look at verse 8 for our text this evening. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Before we get going this morning, let's give this time to the Lord. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come into your house May we not take it lightly. Uh, It's easy for us to take it for granted, Lord, but let us remember those around the world that cannot do this openly for fear of government intrusion or destruction of their facility or even life itself. So, Father, we thank you. We pray that you would continue to protect that freedom so that we can uh, live peaceably, sharing the gospel with those around us, that we can... Uh, Live quietly in uh, all honesty, Lord, as you have told us to pray in the book of 2 Timothy. Father, as we come tonight, we give this time to you. Uh, I pray you would move distractions out of our mind, that you would bless us with a special presence, your Holy Spirit speaking to us through your word, as we close out our mission's emphasis. Uh, Father, we pray that you would Uh, Give us the message that you have for us. Speak to our hearts, Lord, so that we can accomplish the mission that you have indeed called us to. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time I preached was at the beginning of Missions Month, and I preached on missions and me, living on mission. And uh, the point was that we needed to live on mission And we talked about, number one, our purpose. And going back to that basic principle, our purpose is to glorify God. To enjoy our relationship with Him. To please Him. And we need to filter everything we do in life. Uh, Really, we need to make that our core purpose, our core belief. Uh, Our life needs to focus around that one purpose. Uh, We talked about our practice. What is the practice? How do we... Uh, Build on that purpose, well, we love and obey God, and we grow in our walk with Him. And then we talked about the project, to love God, to love people, to carry out the Great Commission. So the point was this, that we need to live based upon on those principles in our every, every facet of life. We need to keep in mind, our purpose is to please God, to glorify God, to, to build our relationship with Him, put Him first, 
And then his project for us that he's given us is the project of missions, the Great Commission, reaching everybody with the gospel. And, and think about where we fit in that grand scheme of things. So tonight we want to build on this thought with the message entitled, Missions and My Church, Living Out the Mission. So that brings us to a question, what does a missional church look like? What does a missional church look like? Uh, this conversation could be carried on, and rightfully so, for, for many more services. Uh, we could delve into this tonight. We don't have time for all of that. But we can at least get started with the conversation. Here are several characteristics, biblical characteristics, from the book of Acts on what a missional church looks like. Let's go back uh, to Acts chapter 1 and start reading in verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, Jesus that is, commanded them that they should not depart from from Jerusalem, but, what's the next word? Alright, let's all together. Wait. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth." Do you notice that Christ's first command to the church was to wait? Maybe not exactly what you're expecting. We're in missions month. We are supposed to be moving. We're supposed to be gaining an objective. We're supposed to be conquering for the Lord. But the first command, the first Characteristic of a missional church is to wait. I want to read to you this from an illustration that I found here. The purposes of God often develop slowly because His grand designs are never hurried. Uh, A great New England preacher, Philip Brooks, was once noted for his poise and quiet manner. At times, however, he suffered moments of frustration and irritability. One day, a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor like a caged lion. What's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? He asked. This was his reply. The trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way. I felt that way this week, probably. Notice here the the disciples in verse 4. Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father. And then uh, the disciples in verse 6. Are you going to restore your kingdom? They were anticipating the kingdom coming. And Jesus said, wait, hang on guys. You guys don't understand. You you don't know God's program. You don't know what God's trying to accomplish here in history. Uh, We have something. God has something else in mind. Uh, it's called the Great Commission. So he gives them the Great Commission. Uh, 
But what were they supposed to do as they got this great commission? They're supposed to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus gave them this great commission, but then he told them to wait. And if you look at the, the narrative, it's, it's about a seven-day wait. Jesus rose again. He spent um, 40 days on earth after his resurrection. Uh, so that's a total of 43 days there. Uh, he was crucified around Passover. So Pentecost isn't until Acts chapter 2. That's 50 days. So we have about a week in which Jesus tells them to wait. You might think, wait, isn't it ready to go? Why wait? And the principle that I think we need to remember here is that we can never rush ahead of God's plan. We need to be careful not to rush ahead of the Holy Spirit's leading. You know, when we rush ahead of God's timing, we're operating in our flesh. You remember the children of Israel? God told them to go into the promised land, and they went. They sent the spies in, and uh, they saw the giants. And they said, oh man, we can't go in and conquer the promised land because we're grasshoppers in their sight. And so they said, okay, we're not going to go in. And so God said, okay, well, you're gonna, here's your punishment. And then they said, oh, oh we're sorry. We're gonna, and they decided, hey, we're going to go in. We'll, we'll do it now. What happened? They got defeated. Because they weren't operating, they failed to operate in God's timing. And they missed the opportunity. We need to be in tune with God, His Holy Spirit. We need to operate in His timing. And to do that, we need to wait. But how do we wait? Well, let's look down to verse 12. The disciples then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where both both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. So here's the the apostles in the upper room where where Peter and James abode. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus with his brethren. So how did they wait? They waited in prayer. How do we wait? How do we get in tune with the Holy Spirit? How do we get in tune with God? We spend a whole bunch of time in His Word and in prayer. pastor is going to take a time away, a time apart in the next week or two. He's going to spend a lot of time in the Word. He's going to spend a lot of time in prayer. And I hope that you're praying for Him. I hope you're praying that God will show Him, give Him a vision, give Him uh, direction and wisdom. Because pastors, He's waiting. He's going to do some waiting. He's going to do some waiting on our behalf here at Calvary Baptist Church. He's going to do some prayer. And we need to pray with Him. We need to pray with Him that God would give Him... the the vision, the direction for this ministry to go, for us to carry out the mission that we've been talking about all month. Because we need to wait on God's timing. We need to wait on God's instructions. 
And to do that, we have to go to God's Word. We have to go to prayer. And let's join pastor. We maybe don't take a, a time away and, and go off somewhere, but let's, in that time he's away, let's join him in prayer. Let's join him in, in Bible study of our own, seeking God. Uh, what would he have us to do here at Calvary Baptist Church? Uh, we know that there's thousands of people surrounding us that are lost and without Christ. So what are we going to do? God wants to do something, but first of all, we have to wait. We have to wait on Him. And consider this. What is it that God specifically wants us here at Calvary Baptist Church in Bayswater to accomplish? We know the Great Commission, go and make disciples, okay? We know that, but why did God place Calvary Baptist Church here in Bayswater uh, personalize it. Why did God put you in whatever street address suburb you live in? Are, are there people around you? Maybe that God has placed you there so that you can reach. Ask yourself these questions. Pray. Go to God's Word. Say, God, why did you put me where you put me? Why have you put me here in 2023 of all ages that we could have been alive? You put me here. What, what is the reason? And especially as it contributes to the mission at Calvary Baptist Church. And let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, guide and direct you. If we're going to see the mission accomplished here at Calvary Baptist Church, we as a church body have to be on the same this is where we get on the same page, by, by looking at the same word and speaking to the same God. So we need to wait. But notice a couple of things as they waited. And if you've been here for our Wednesday night prayer meetings, uh, this is going to sound like a broken record. We can ask Mitchell. I know we can ask Mitchell. He's going to have the two, next two points down. Uh, verse 14, notice two, two points about their prayer. Um, it says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Notice that word continued. It has the idea of perseverance. This shows that their prayer was urgent. The apostles weren't just uh, goofing off, messing around, saying, okay, well, we got seven, we uh, seven days to just kick back and relax. No, they took that time and they continued in prayer. Are we urgent about our prayer? Maybe the reason it feels like we have to wait so long on God is because we're not preparing ourselves to hear from God. So are we in prayer? Are we continuing in prayer? So it was urgent prayer. Second of all, it was united prayer. It says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They had urgent prayer. They had united prayer. If we're going to see God accomplish His mission through us here at Calvary Baptist Church, we have to be united. We have to be united around the gospel, around His word, around the truth. And we need to pray together with each other. We pray for each other. That's great. We, we pray for our, our brother Eric. Brother Mark, those that are, that are not well, um, that's a great thing. That's, that's an awesome spirit to have in our church, that we pray for each other. 
let's add another thing to pray for together. And that's the, the ministry of the gospel. As we reach out into the community here, let's pray together. Make that a, a unified prayer of our church. But you know, it doesn't really say what they prayed. Verse 14 says, These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. But what did they pray? In this week of anticipating the Holy Spirit, what, what, what did they pray? I, I don't know that I can really tell you definitively. It doesn't say. I wonder, though, maybe they spent some time confessing sin. As they anticipated the weight of what was about to happen. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. There was some uncertainty there, I'm sure, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Uh, What is this going to entail? But if I can venture a guess, the apostles, in their humility, probably would have said, you know, we need to prepare ourselves in anticipation for God's work. Brothers, sisters, we need to make sure that there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. You know, you look at Scripture, for example, Joshua chapter 7, in which uh, Israel goes against Ai. They thought, oh, it's just a little town. No problem, just send two or three thousand. Take them out easy. What happened? They suffered a humiliating defeat because they didn't stop to pray first. They didn't stop to consider that there was sin in the camp that affected the entire nation. Maybe the apostles had the wisdom to stop and say, before we go too far, let's stop and make sure that we're right with God. There's nothing that's going to hinder God's blessing. I think we'd all be very wise this evening to stop and say, God, is there anything in my life that is hindering your blessing here at Calvary Baptist Church? I pray that's not the case, but it's something that we all need to continually be on guard. One thing I think they did pray for, if we look over at Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, um, Men and brethren, verse 16, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that Field is called in their proper tongue Al-Sadama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let, this habitation, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and and Matthias. And they prayed, 
and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And so here they recount that we, uh, we had one of our apostles, Judas, he forsook Christ. Uh, he, he committed suicide. He died. Um, hey, let's look around. We have these men that have been with us from the time of John the Baptist even until the, really the, the very end. Uh, so let's appoint one of them to fill Judas's spot. They pray over this, and God um, puts in, according to the lots, a, another man to fill Judas's spot. And so they prayed over this. They took this seven-day period to pray. Uh, they took some preparation. God is getting ready to establish His church. And so they took the, t- the time to prepare for the establishment of the church. Are there things that we need to establish here at Calvary Baptist Church in preparation for the ability to reach out in the community? The ability to um, maybe start a new ministry? Is God putting it on our hearts to start a new ministry? Or maybe to assist with a current ministry? Maybe um, talk to pastor and say, what, what are we doing currently that we need help with? Is there something here at Calvary Baptist Church that we need to be doing to prepare for God's blessing? You know, things might seem like they're, they're going along pretty well. They're going along fine, so why rock the boat? But maybe there's a need for some people to step up so that we can anticipate, so we can receive more people that we can minister to more people. We need more laborers. Would you pray that way, that God would prepare our church for future growth, future ministry? What did they pray for? I don't know exactly all what they prayed for. But maybe they spent some time confessing sin. Maybe they took some time to pray for preparation for future ministry. What else can we pray for? Well, here's a list of verses. You can look at these on your own time, but things that we can pray for in regards to missions. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Apostle Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer is that uh, Israel would be saved. We can pray for souls. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, again, God telling us uh, He is willing that all should come to the truth. We should pray for all men. Pray for boldness, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Pray for opportunities to witness, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. How about this? We take the the month of June. You know, the world has taken the month of June and they've run pretty pretty, uh, awful with it to push an agenda. How about we take the month of June and make it a month of prayer? Maybe make it a month of prayer and say, God, how can we reach people who are very confused about their identity? How can we reach people that are buying into worldly ideology? How can we reach our community? Maybe take the month of June and combat what the the world and the devil is trying to do. You know, I've thought about it, maybe committing 
an extra time of prayer every day for the next 30 days. To pray for our church in regards to its missional outreach in the community. That maybe God would make us aware, more aware of some needs that we can, that we can meet. You know, it's easy to say we live in a post-Christian, secular society. People don't want the gospel. People don't want uh, to hear it anymore. But you know what? There's a lot of hurting people out there. There's a lot of people out there that are looking for truth. They're looking for love. They're looking for hope. And that's exactly what the gospel provides for them. So let's pray and ask God to, to make us more aware, to, to open opportunities for us. Again, going back to that aspect of waiting on God. You know, sometimes we need the humility to say that we need God to open an opportunity for us. I don't think we should use that as a crutch or as an excuse to be lazy and not look actively for opportunities. But sometimes we need God to do something miraculous to open an opportunity. I so wanted Pastor to play the pineapple story. Um, if you've never heard the pineapple story, it's a, a missionary story from Papua New Guinea. I, I'm not going to spill the beans because if you haven't seen it, uh, you, you'll definitely want to see it. But the interesting thing as you watch that story unfold is God does something miraculous in that story to open the hearts of those people in Papua New Guinea. And it was something that really the, the missionary himself I don't think could have done. It was something that only God could do. God did. Hey, let's take the month of June and ask God to do something that only He can do here through Calvary Baptist Church in Bayswater, Victoria. Why don't we say, God, we want to see Your glory. Let's double check, make sure our motives are right and say, Lord, we want to see your spectacular, amazing power. And ask him, God, would you, would you do something special? We'll see what God does. Let's wait on the Lord. Let's wait on him in prayer. So that's the first characteristic of a missional church, one that waits on God in prayer. Uh, number two, a missional church is a witnessing church. Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice the word witnesses. That is the Greek word martus. Um, you can probably guess what English word we get from that word. Anybody want to give it out a, a shout? Martyr. Yeah. Uh, so witness. Uh, the Greek word is also translated throughout the New Testament as record. 
Um, it's defined as that which furnishes evidence or proof. So the idea here of a witness, uh, Jesus is saying that you shall be witnesses of me. You're going to bear record. You're going to provide evidence. You're going to provide uh, proof of my death, burial, and resurrection. And, and the fact that I can bring forgiveness of sins and life to people that are lost and dying in sin. Uh, so th- uh, the idea here is someone who has seen or heard something and they're transferring what they've seen and heard to somebody else. Now, here's the cool thing about the gospel. Uh, I'm going to need some help for this one. Uh, I need, let's see, I need the oldest person in this auditorium. Who would that be? I don't want to, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Now I'm, I'm going to have to pick somebody, and they're going to be offended. Pastor, I have the best report. Pastor, come on, Pastor, please. You'll represent... You will represent our, our oldest um, person. Okay, so Pastor, if you'll come stand on this side. Pastor is going to represent uh, the Apostle Peter, all right? So he goes way back. Uh, he saw Jesus in the flesh. He saw Jesus when he died, when he rose again. Okay, I need someone else who's pretty old, but not like the oldest of oldest. Uh, Brother, Brother Chris, can I, can I ask you to come up? He is a... a Sagacious-looking gentleman with the vest. He, all right, brother Hustler, you are going to represent. Um, I don't know one of the apostolic fathers. If you'll come stand next year, someone that rubs shoulders with the apostles. Okay, so Peter, to, he told um, our apostolic father, "This is what I saw. I saw Jesus die, buried, rose again." All right, I need someone that's uh, a little bit younger, not. Too young, uh, brother Benji. Would you come up and, and join us on the stage? <laughs> yeah, I'm up there. I'm much older. No, we're trying to help you feel younger. Um, so you're going to represent the the next in line. I'm telling you. All right. All right. So then we're gonna we're gonna skip way ahead here. Um, I need winner. Can you come up, winner? All right, so we have a long line of people telling people about Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. All right, now we come to 2023. We've got Winter here. You've heard the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. All right, so he's been witnessed to. All through 2,000 years, we've experienced this unbroken chain of witness. All the way back to the very first witness, the Apostle Peter. And, and the apostles. We're part of that chain. Look at this. You put yourself right here. If we had room on the platform, I'd ask you all to come up here. Stop and think about that for a second. Isn't that really neat? We are bearing a witness of the truth over 2,000 years. All right, thank you guys. You can have a seat. And here in Acts chapter 1, it, it says, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Get a hold of that. We are a part of this, this great line of witnesses bearing testament to the fact that Jesus is alive. 
He's risen. And for all who will put their confidence in Him and Him alone, they can have forgiveness of sins. You know, you say, I'm not a theologian. I've never been to Bible college. I don't know how to be an evangelist. You just have to be a witness. You just have to tell people, this is what I've seen. This is what I know. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's buried. He's risen again. And if you will trust Him, He'll save you. Not saying we shouldn't study. We should. We need to study to show ourselves approved to be a workman that needs not to be ashamed. But don't feel inadequate. If you know Christ, if you've trusted Christ, you have a witness. You have a testimony. And you can tell people, this is what's happened to me. Because a, a missional church is a church that witnesses. I love Brother John Bertram. That is a man who witnesses. Someone that went to the time and effort to write a book to tell what Jesus did for him. Hey, any of you feel compelled to write your own book? Why not? Write your own testimony. Tell all your friends and family. I mean, how easy... I'm I'm envious of John because if he wants to witness to something, he says, hey, have you read my book? And who's going to turn down a man in a wheelchair uh, when he wants to give him a book? Of course they're going to take it, right? Of course they're going to listen to him, what he says about Jesus. Um, Not that we have to be like John Bertram, but... Be you. Be who Jesus is making you to be and tell other people, I love Jesus, and you can too. So a missional church is a church that waits on the Lord and it witnesses. And I really hope and pray our church would be a lot more like John Bertram. It seems like no matter who he has a chance to talk to, that's, that's always what he wants to bring up. You know, I, I asked him one, one night, or one, one time at church, um, hey, let me know if you have any names of people that are unsaved, that need prayer. Um, he started listing off this, 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 this. It was for uh, a couple weeks, he Every, other, uh, every few days, he'd be ringing me up saying, hey, I talked to somebody else. Put them on your list for prayer. They need salvation. Why not? Why not be like that? Everywhere we go, if we have a chance to talk to somebody, and it doesn't have to be like we're, we're preaching now. I'm just asking the question like, hey, do you, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? And depending how they answer that question, you might open a can of worms that will give you a perfect segue into a a witnessing opportunity. Be creative. Ask people questions. Figure out ways to witness to people. Because a missional church is 
obsessed with witnessing. And why not? We all ought to be obsessed with our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, number three, the missional church is a church that worships. It waits, it witnesses, and then it worships. Go over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And let's observe what this church looked like, what the character of this church was. What, what was his activity? Verse 41 says, Then they, this is the people that Peter has been preaching to, uh, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Peter preaches, 3,000 people say, I want to trust Christ. They identify with Christ through believers' baptism. And by the way, baptism doesn't save you. You need to be un, uh, very um, understanding that just because somebody gets baptized doesn't mean they're saved. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, he asked to be baptized, but uh, Philip said, well, do you believe? God's looking at the heart. Uh, he's not looking at your water baptism for salvation. So you have to trust Christ. That's what... Uh, God is looking for in regards to salvation. So it says that they gladly received his words, were baptized. Uh, the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with singleness, or with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. So let's break down this passage. You have the, the church here at Jerusalem and they welcome these believers, these 3,000 believers uh, but notice, first of all, these new believers were expected to embrace Christ. Uh, they were baptized. They identified with Christ. Uh, the early church, these, these, the apostles and, and these disciples, uh, they said, hey, great, you can trust Christ, but you need to identify with Jesus Christ. You know, when somebody makes a profession of faith, And I want to be careful here, but people, a lot of times, they think, well, I'm going to pray and ask Jesus to save me so I can go to heaven. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if they truly understand the gospel. Because they never want to come to church. They never want to read their Bible. They never, they never want to grow. You know, God can judge their heart. That's for Him to decide. But as a church, our desire is not just to see people pray some prayer. Our desire is to see them come and embrace Jesus Christ fully. To give their life to Him. To identify with Him in believer's baptism. 
And I know that can be a, a challenge for some people. That's a big step. But that's what Jesus has asked us to do. He's asked us to embrace him. And we live in a world where organizations and institutions are given a bad rap. We live in a world that, uh, oh, I don't have to go to church in order to be spiritual. I can be spiritual on my own. You look at the, the statistics out there. People um, are content to get their spirituality from YouTube or private Bible studies or whatever. And I understand there's, there's reasons that things are the way they are. But God ordained His church to carry out the mission. And if his people are so busy arguing and squabbling over peripherals, they're not carrying out the mission. And in fact, the world looks at them and says, you guys are a bunch of nuts. I'm not, I don't want to go anywhere near you guys. What did Jesus say was the, the mark of disciples? If you love one another, then all men will know you're my disciples. We need to pray and ask God to protect our church, to to unify our church, to help us take the next step spiritually, the people in our church, that they would have a hunger and a desire to identify with Christ on a deeper level. One pastor I know, he says to their prospective members as they um, assimilate them into the church, as they go through their membership class, uh, and he says it this way, you are joining us, we are not joining you. And I say that very kindly, but the church is built on the, the truth of God's word. It's not negotiable. And I wouldn't want it to be negotiable. I wouldn't want to sit and negotiate it because God's word has proven itself time and time again. I'm more than happy to lean my full confidence in God's word. And I want to extend this invitation to everybody here, to those watching. I want to ask you, would you lean your full weight on God's Word as well? If you've never been baptized and you need to be baptized, you need to, to grow spiritually and, and get into a church and, and be a part of this organization that God has chosen to move His mission forward. I want to ask you, would you pray about making those decisions, those spiritual decisions? Maybe you have been baptized, but maybe you need to be more serious about following the Lord. You know, it's one thing to get up up and get baptized and identify with Christ, but it's another thing to live it out on a daily basis. I don't know where you are. I I don't know where you are spiritually. 
But come talk to me and pastor if you feel that you need to make some decisions. If you feel the need for being discipled, how can you be a, an effective witness if you're not discipled yourself? Because witnessing and telling someone about Jesus is only the first step to the Great Commission. We tell people about Christ, they accept Christ, but then we have to teach them how to live the Christian life. If you yourself don't know how to live the Christian life, if you've never been discipled, if, if you're not very clear on biblical doctrine and, and biblical teaching, how can you be an effective disciple, your discipler? So I want to encourage you, reach out to the church leadership, those that can and help you study God's word. So that way you can know how to disciple someone. So that you can help carry on the mission that God has given us. Notice the verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Continued steadfastly. That word continues, the same one as in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, they're continuing. This is serious to them. And notice it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. We live in a day and age in which everybody wants to question everything. Truth is relative, right? Your truth is fine for you, but let me have my truth, and I'll believe what I want to believe. And I am so thankful that these new converts... They just embraced what the apostles said. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostle Paul says, I believe it's in the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, he was rejoicing that the, the Thessalonians received the word as it was indeed the word of God. You know, the world wants us to question God's word, it wants us to question our authorities. It wants us to demand our rights. It wants us to throw off the yoke of whatever. We need to come to God's Word and say, God, show me what it is that I need to know. We need to come to Jesus and say, put your yoke upon me. Now the good thing is, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. We need to have the humility to say, God has placed leadership in this church. He's brought seasoned believers into this church that can help me grow in my spiritual life. It is the unfortunate tragedy of our age in which we don't rely upon other people. We've got this rugged individualism. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can fix my own problems. And whatever problems I can't fix, Google, Google can fix the rest. My friend, God did not create us to live alone. He created us and He ordained, especially for our topic tonight, the church for support, for co-laboring, for teamwork.
And notice they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship or partnership, that's a, maybe a, a, a way for us to think about in our modern context. It says, in breaking of bread and in prayers. They ate together. They prayed together. I love how we have our fellowship after the Sunday morning service. It's biblical. Um, the men's prayer breakfast. We get together. We Fellowship. That's very important for a church. Verse 43 through 45, it talks about they were sharing and caring. Uh, they had all things in common. So just a little bit of the context here. You have uh, 3,000 people injected into this church. Uh, many of these people are probably not even from Jerusalem. They don't have jobs. They don't have income. It's kind of like they're on holiday. They were in for the feast. And so the church at Jerusalem is dealing with this huge influx of people, and they're, whoa, what are we going to do? So, well, here, you can come stay at my house, and uh, I'll sell something here, and we'll, we'll buy food, and we'll provide for you. And they had all things in common. They, took, they looked out for each other. And I want to encourage you, take some time to, to reach out to others in this church that you don't know very well. For a meal. Get together for an activity, and and get to know them, fellowship with them, encourage them. Verse 46, they conti- uh, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with, singleness, or with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. Do you see the unity here? The generosity, the love, the, the focus, the, they were focused around the apostles' doctrine. They were fellowshipping together, worshipping in the temple, probably evangelizing in the temple. They're a missional church. Their life revolves around Jesus Christ. Their life revolves around church. And some of us are so t- uh, timid we're scared to, to make this step. To, to, we're scared of being hurt because we've been hurt in the past because someone's let us down or a church has let us down. But God has created the church to accomplish His mission. And when the church functions the way that biblically we see it function, What happens? Notice in verse 47 it says, having favor with all the people. The community looked at First Christian Church of Jerusalem and they said, wow, they got a good thing going on. Look at how generous they are. Look how loving they are. They had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see the result of what happens when the church operates the way the church is supposed to operate? The mission is accomplished, souls are brought to Jesus. 
I don't have a conclusion tonight. Because the conclusion is for you to prayerfully consider between you and the Lord. I want you to know I'm thankful for each and every one of you that's here. God has brought you here. I love you all. I know Pastor loves you all. And we're, we're here to serve you, to help you, to, to shepherd you. And you can feel free to come to us about your, your questions, your problems, whatever it is. You have ideas, perspectives. You can share them with us. But this evening, I would ask that you take some time in your own heart and life and just pray and ask God, what can you do to help accomplish the mission? It's through the church that He has established. We've talked about waiting. We've talked about witnessing and, last of all, worshiping. But I'll give you a moment to pray as we close out our mission's emphasis. Ask the Lord, what's your part? What will you do? Let's bow for prayer. Father, as we take some time this evening to fellowship with you in prayer, Father, we're asking for your guidance and your direction. Father, we're waiting in prayer. You've burdened our heart for souls, the need for missions. Lord, we're asking for your direction. We also pray for your power, power to be a witness. You've promised it to us. Lord, would you help us to appropriate that power, to take hold of it, to see it in our lives. And Father, would you help us to worship you Fill our hearts, Lord, with love. Father, we pray that your Spirit would unify us. As the Lord Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, that he would, you would unify the body. Unite us around him and the, the goal that you've given us, the mission that you've given us. 
Unite our hearts in fellowship. Father, I'll be honest, it is, it is somewhat scary to think about what will happen if we truly get serious about our mission. Because when the Jerusalem church got serious about their mission, persecution came. But Lord, you're worth it. You gave them power, you gave them boldness, and you gave them the protection that they needed. And those that were not protected, Lord, they received a great reward reward in heaven. Father, we're asking, we're pleading for you to use what we have heard this missions month to glorify your name in this community. We pray this all in Jesus' name.